Well, hello, Pastor Matt here. Just want to take a moment to say thank you for tuning in to this message. We here at New Life Baptist Church hope that in making these resources available to the public, that we'll help to edify the body of Christ at large, and that you personally will increase in your knowledge of God, leading to a deeper love for Him. Good morning, New Life Baptist Church. Thank you for joining us on this Easter Sunday. We're excited to celebrate all that Easter Sunday represents. And so that's what we'll be talking about today is uh, the, the impact and the implications of, of the resurrection. What, is, what does it really mean? You know, we all of us know the story that um, he is risen, that the tomb is empty, We've all heard these things before, but why is it important and why does it matter? Um, Does it even matter? And so that's what we're going to be discussing today is the resurrection and all that it means, all the impact that Christ being risen from the grave has on the world, on human history, and on your personal life. If you would... Go ahead and grab your Bible with me. We're going to turn to 1 Corinthians. We're going to be in chapter 15, and we're going to, we're going to do a bit of reading, so keep your Bible close by after we're done. But we're going to start off by reading uh, 1 Corinthians 15, 1 through 7. And the goal today is through this scripture is to be able to shed some light on the importance of of Christ resurrected. So let's read 1 Corinthians 15, 1 through 7. This is the word of God. Now I would remind you, brothers, of the gospel I preached to you, which you received, in which you stand, and by which you are being saved, if you hold fast to the word I preached to you, unless you believed in vain. For I delivered to you as of first importance what I also received, that Christ died for our sins in accordance with the scriptures, that he was buried, that he was raised on the third day in accordance with the scriptures, and that he appeared to Cephas, then to the twelve, then he appeared to more than 500 brothers at one time, most of whom are still alive, though some have fallen asleep. Then he appeared to James, then to all the apostles. Let's pray. Sovereign God, I thank you for what today represents. I thank you that the tomb is empty. I thank you for what happened on Good Friday. And I thank you for what happened on Resurrection Sunday. Lord, I am just a man. I cannot preach your word effectively or with power or or, or with any type of clarity without the, um, the empowering of the Holy Spirit. So I pray that right now in this hour that I would be nothing more than a vessel that you would use to communicate 
your word to your people and that it would penetrate hearts, that we would come to a a realization of the reality of the resurrection, uh, of the crucifixion and, and all that was accomplished during this time, that some might be saved and that your name might be glorified. It's in that name, the name of Jesus, that we pray. Amen. So, what's going on here in our text? 1 Corinthians 15. As we just look at verses 1 and 2, just to briefly get an understanding for what's happening here, Paul says that he's explaining the, the preaching that he brought to the church in Corinth. And it, it was preaching that was received. And it's preaching in which they now stand. And, and in other words, they live by the preaching that, that Paul brought. And it's, it's this preaching, this gospel that he's preaching, that they are being saved by. So he, he's putting an importance here on, on the preaching that he brought to the church at Corinth, but, but not just the preaching in and of itself, right? We're, we're going to be focusing more on chapters or verses 3 and going on. So as we look at verse 3, he says, of first importance, he says, For I delivered to you of first importance what I also received. What Paul is communicating to us here is that the message that, that he was preaching the, the most important thing that he preached was, was not how to live a better life or even how to live an obedient Christian life, but rather the most important thing that he preached to the church at Corinth and certainly anywhere else was the gospel. And this gospel is not of man's own invention. Paul didn't come up with this gospel. Notice he says, it, it, it's what I also received. So he didn't come up with this message. It's not of his own invention. He wasn't sitting in his room one day and just said, you know what would be a cool story is so-and-so and and -and so-and-so. No, instead, on the road to Damascus, he received the full message of the gospel by direct revelation from Jesus Christ himself. Now that's a faithful witness to the gospel. And he says that it is of first importance So it's the most important thing that Paul could possibly teach the church at Corinth, the church in Galatia, the church at Colossae, any church, any person, and then everyone who would ever come to read these scriptures, it is the gospel of Jesus Christ. It is of first importance. Let us not miss that point. He received this gospel message, and then he passed it on as he received it. So the question is, comes up now, what, what, what is this message? Well, as we look at the, the last half of verse 3, he says that Christ died for our sins in accordance with the scriptures. That Christ died for our sins. So he's beginning to unravel a bit of the gospel. Now he's not going into full detail here, is he? Of course not. Because, and we know that because we see Christ died for our sins. That's a bit of a general, vague statement. If you're in Christ today, if if you have an understanding of the gospel, you know exactly what Paul means. But to an outsider, to hear Christ died for our sins, that just brings up more questions. Who is Christ? 
What, what are sins? What is sin? Who determines what sin is? Why did he have to die? Why did he die? I didn't ask him to die. What is sin? Who determines the punishment for sin? And that's why Paul says, in accordance with the scriptures. So Paul would know what the scriptures have to say about sin, right? So this would be involved in his full gospel presentation to the church at Corinth and and again to any church that he presented it to. Now, when he refers to the scriptures, obviously he didn't have an an ESV study Bible uh, in in front of him to go and turn to 1 Corinthians 15 and, and read about this. No, instead what Paul would have been referring to is the Old Testament. So the entire Old Testament. So believe it or not, the Old Testament gives us all of the, the, the ammunition and all of the reason and all of the motivation and all of the understanding that we need to understand why we need the gospel. So, so Paul would have understood that Psalm 14 verse 3 says, they have all turned aside. Together they have become corrupt. There is none who does good, not even one. So Paul would know and he would explain and teach that we are all guilty of sin. He would also know that in Exodus 34, God says himself that he by no means will pardon the guilty. So he would know and teach that we um, all remain guilty of sin and we stand condemned. But he'd also know Proverbs 20 verse 9 that says, Who can say, I have made my heart pure. I am clean from my sin. So he would also know that we have no recourse in making ourselves right and justified before the hands of God. But you see, to have the full scope of the gospel, he would also know that in Isaiah 53, there is a a big messianic prophecy that, that talks about Christ's substitutionary atonement, that Christ would come and and stand in our place and suffer the punishment for our sins because it says that he was pierced for our transgressions and that he was crushed for our iniquities. This is substitutionary language that someone is standing in our place taking on what is rightfully ours. So Paul would have known and preached the full gospel message that includes the full story of our sin and that Christ was dying in our place, an innocent man for the guilty, the righteous for the unrighteous, the holy for the profane. This is what we celebrate this weekend. Now this is important for us to understand. See, we we don't just need to know that Christ died We need to know why he died and what he died for. This is a critical element of the gospel, but so is the resurrection. As we continue reading here, he says in verse 4 that Christ dying for our sins is not the end of the story, is it? It says that he was buried and that he was raised on the third day in accordance with the scriptures. We so often speak of the death of Christ, that Christ died for our sins, and we just completely forget about or leave out the fact that Christ is not still dead, that Christ rose from the grave, that the tomb is empty. 
Easter ought not be the only day that we contemplate that empty tomb. As indicated here, the resurrection is also a crucial element of the gospel. It too happened according to the scriptures. And we won't go into too much detail just for the sake of time. But Isaiah 53, Daniel chapter 12, uh, Psalm chapter 16, they all have language that, that indicates a, a resurrected Messiah. So Paul knew this, and, and the point that Paul is stressing here is not that he knows Scripture. It's that all of these events that occurred, what happened on Good Friday, the totality of Christ's life, his, his death, his resurrection, these were not random events. These were planned. These were prophesied. These were decreed. These were ordained events that transpired, and they were accomplished by Jesus Christ. We know that this resurrection is a critical piece of the gospel because of all of the witnesses that Paul goes on to list. Just look at it. After he says that it happened in accordance with the scriptures, verse 5, and that he appeared to Cephas and then to the twelve, then he appeared to more than 500 brothers at one time. What Paul is doing is he's establishing the legitimacy of the resurrection, that it, this didn't just happen. And notice, whenever he says that Christ died for, the, for our sins, he didn't go off to list a bunch of witnesses to that, did he? No, but to the resurrection, now he's, he's listing off all of these people. Go ask Cephas. Go ask the twelve. Go ask these 500 brothers that, that, that saw him. Go ask the, the, the group of women that, that showed up first on the scene to the empty tomb. They will all testify to the reality of the resurrection, that this is a real event. This really happened. And Paul is stressing this at length and gives us plenty of witnesses. And as though that were enough, we didn't read it, but in verses 8, 9, and 10, he goes on to say that he appeared to even Paul himself so even Paul is a faithful witness to the resurrection of the, the bodily resurrection of Jesus Christ. This is solid evidence for the resurrection. And it's obvious that the resurrection is so important, but why is it important? You ask the best questions, you know, even, even through the phone and the computer, you just ask such good questions. Thank you. So we're going to read... To answer this question, we're going to read, still in chapter 15 of 1 Corinthians, we're going to read 12 through 19. I told you to keep your Bible handy. It says, Now if Christ is proclaimed as raised from the dead, how can some of you say that there is no resurrection of the dead? But if there is no resurrection of the dead, then not even Christ has been raised. And if Christ has not been raised, then our preaching is in vain and your faith is in vain. We are even found to be misrepresenting God because we testified about God that he raised Christ, whom he did not raise, if it is true that the dead are not raised. For if the dead are not raised, not even Christ has been raised and if Christ has not been raised, your faith is futile and you are still in your sins. Then also, then those also who have fallen asleep in Christ have perished. If in Christ we have hope 
in this life only, we are of all people most to be pitied. Wow, this is strong language from the Apostle Paul. So let's look at it. Let's, let's examine what he's saying here. Verses 12 and 13 that some are saying that there was no resurrection. How can you say that there's no resurrection? You see, there are many who even today will say that the resurrection of Jesus Christ didn't actually happen. That this whole story is really just a metaphor. That it's really just an, an abstract story. That it's just a parable. That it's just an allegory. And it's only meant to teach you about some deeper, ambiguous spiritual truth. But that's not the case, is it? If the resurrection didn't happen, then guess what? That might be true. That it is just a story about a, a, a really nice, kind, loving, wise Jewish man who died on a cross one time. If the resurrection didn't happen, then that's the whole story that Christianity has to offer. It's just a story of, uh, of a prophet or a healer who died a brutal death. So let's see the implications of Christ not being resurrection, resurrected, as Paul will detail for us, starting in, in verse 14. He says, and if Christ has not been raised, then our preaching is in vain. Man. What kind of preaching is, is Paul talking about? As, as, as he shows at the top of the chapter in, in verses 1 through 4, he's referring to gospel preaching. It is fruitless. It is devoid of power. It's pointless. It's worthless. It's frivolous if Christ was not resurrected. Imagine. We would be preaching about a Savior who couldn't even save himself. Imagine this. I mean, just look at what I'm doing. I'm preaching to a phone in an empty room. I would be a complete fool if Christ has not been resurrected. I can't imagine what I would even be doing with my life if Christ had not called me to become a preacher because it's the only thing that I'm even halfway decent at. Woe to me if I don't preach the gospel. But if Christ is not resurrected, then that verse is flipped around, and that verse would say, woe to me for preaching the gospel, because I'm preaching a gospel that is devoid of power and pointless and fruitless. I think of all the, the faithful pastors throughout the years who have preached this gospel this Christ and, and this gospel message, so many years of ministry, of, of tears, of, of late nights, of, of struggles, of heartbreaks, of, uh, of just pouring out your heart before God Almighty. A life wasted if Christ is in the tomb. Nabil Qureshi, he's a Christian apologist. He was diagnosed with advanced stomach cancer in 2016. And upon receiving the diagnosis, and he turned to make a, a public statement, and this is what he said. This is an announcement that I never expected to make. But God, in his infinite and sovereign wisdom, has chosen for me this refining. 
And I pray he will be glorified through my body and my spirit. Nabil Qureshi would go on to die in 2017 at the age of 34, hanging on to the hope of the gospel. And if Christ is not resurrected, he died in vain and wasted his life. To take this further, if our preaching is in vain, then so, is, so are the countless books, seminars, conferences, seminaries, online courses, ministries, teaching ministries, and even churches, if Christ is still in the tomb. It's all vain, and it's all devoid of purpose and meaning. But not only that, because if our preaching is in vain, then whenever you exercise faith after hearing a gospel message, then also your faith is in vain. That's what he says at the end of verse 14. Not only our preaching is in vain, but then also your faith is in vain. Even your faith, imagine this. In verse 1, he says that he preached the gospel that they received, that they now stand in, and that they are being saved by. But if this gospel is devoid of a resurrected Savior, then they are receiving in vain, standing in vain, and they will not be saved that means you and I too. If this gospel is merely just a story about some really nice, loving, wise Jewish man who was a carpenter, who died and is buried somewhere right now, then everything we do is pointless. If Christ's bones can be dug up right now, then you have no hope during this pandemic. If you could go right now and pull Christ's bones out of the grave, then all of your prayers, all of your hope in God during this pandemic and during any suffering is pointless and frivolous. Imagine the implications of the resurrection. All of those right now who are suffering across the globe for the gospel are wasting their time. Verse 15, not only that, we've also lied. What's worse than all of these things is that we've also lied about God. If Christ was not resurrected from the grave, then we are lying about God because we're preaching about a God who has resurrecting power and brought forth his son from the grave. But if he's still in that grave, then we have lied about what God is like and who he is. What a terrible crime this would be. Let's look at 16 through 18. For if the dead are not raised, not even Christ has been raised. And if Christ has not been raised, your faith is futile and you are still in your sins. Then those who died, who have also fallen asleep in Christ, have perished. You see, Christ died with our sins, and if he didn't rise from the grave, then we are still dead in our sins. If Christ is still dead, your faith is pointless, it's powerless, and it's useless. We'd still be condemned before God. We'd still have no way to be justified in his sight. We'd still owe him all of our debts. 
all of those passages that we read early on about sin from the Old Testament would still be true about you and I if there is no resurrection then death is final it is permanent it's the end of the road if there is no resurrection most of all if our hope in Christ is only in this life then look around you and have pity on us if Christ could be dug up right now then people should feel sorry for us People should have remorse for the life that we're living. I mean, listen, look at what you're doing. You're listening to some preacher talk about some dead guy for 45 minutes. If Christ was not resurrected, you would be wasting your time around this screen right now. If Christ could be dug up from the grave, you would still be dead in your sins. Death would be final. What a bleak picture. What a bleak existence this would be without an empty tomb if Christ is still dead if there is no resurrection then as Paul will say later on in in uh, this chapter let's just eat and drink because tomorrow we die everything we're doing is pointless But he did rise. As we're celebrating on Easter Sunday, the tomb is empty. You can't go dig up his bones. He has been resurrected. It's not what happened, is it? As a matter of fact, Christ did die for our sins in accordance with the scriptures. And he was buried. And he did rise from the grave in accordance with the scriptures. This is a reality. This happened. This isn't just a cute Sunday school story that we tell to make ourselves feel better. Christ really is risen from the grave. It is a historical fact. He's, the tomb is empty. It's empty. You can't go to his grave and dig him up. He's not here anymore. And praise God for that. The lamb that was slain for the sins of the world. The suffering servant who bore his father's wrath came forth from that tomb victorious, conquering sin and the grave. Jesus of Nazareth, the word who became flesh, was resurrected from the dead and was taken up to heaven where he is seated right now at the right hand of the father. I imagine what this must have been like the day that he went up into heaven. I imagine that he sat down next to his father on the throne and, and looked at him and said, Father, it is finished. And his father appeared, looked at all of his work and saw that it was good and said, well done, my good and faithful servant. And then all of the host of heaven fell at the feet of Jesus and said, worthy is the lamb who was slain to receive glory and honor and power and wealth and dominion forever and ever. Because this is real and it happened. And you can stake your whole life on this message. It's true 
that had he not risen, they could write fraudulent over all of the life of Christ. But since he is risen, since he was resurrected, the Father himself wrote out the certificate of authenticity of all of the claims of Jesus Christ, of all of his claims to his authority, of all of his claims to to power and to honor and dominion. He was certified authentic by his resurrection from the grave. And because Christ lives, we have four assurances from this text of our salvation. Four assurances from his resurrection. Number one, gospel preaching has power. I don't mean just any old type of preaching. I mean the kind of preaching that is rooted in the scriptures, that is focused on the gospel, and that exalts Christ. That kind of preaching has power, but it only has any power because of the gospel. And this is only true because Christ was resurrected. As we learned earlier in the passage, if, if, if Christ was not resurrected and the power was found in the preaching itself, the power was found in man and his ability and his wisdom and, and, and his, his suave way on the stage then it wouldn't matter if Christ was resurrected or not. Preaching would still have power. But it all depends on the resurrection. That means that the power is not found in the man. The power is found in the gospel that the man preaches. That is the source of gospel preaching power. The resurrection is of profound significance. So much so that without it... Everything that we're doing is pointless. But with the reality of the resurrection as its backdrop, gospel preaching has power because of the spirit of almighty God who raises the dead working through it. The apostles' gospel preaching was authenticated by their performing signs and wonders And today, a man's gospel preaching is authenticated by the Lord performing wonders in the human heart. Sure, I can't perform miracles, but the Lord Almighty that I preach, the Lord Almighty that many faithful preachers across the land are preaching, He has the power to reach into your heart, even through a phone screen, through a tablet, through a computer, and and knock away your heart of stone and give you a heart of flesh. But all the power is found in Him. Number two. Our faith is fruitful. Paul says that without the resurrection, our faith is futile. But we know that the opposite of true, that the the resurrection did happen, that Christ is resurrected. Thus, our faith in Christ bears much fruit in our lives. Real saving faith in Christ and his work bears the fruit of salvation And then the resulting fruits of the Spirit. Our faith, however, is only legitimized by the resurrection of Jesus Christ. It has no power without him. Your faith is not the power 
The power is found in who your faith is in, in the resurrected King of kings and Lord of lords. Since he came forth from the grave, our faith bears fruit as it is placed in him. Number three, our sins are forgiven. Listen to me. You have absolutely no assurance of salvation if Christ is dead. If he took your sins to the grave and he stayed in that grave, then you're still in your sins. But since he came forth from that grave, you and I too can come forth from the grave of the deadness of our sins and walk in newness of life because of the resurrected king. Imagine had he stayed in that tomb. A dead man, no matter how loving, could never successfully atone for your sins, no matter how noble or well-intentioned he is. Yet he is very much alive. And because he lives, we live. For those of you who are not in Christ, understand that his work was authenticated by his resurrection. And what that means for you is that you have an assurance that if you are not in Christ, you abide under the wrath of God. What that means is that you're still in your sin, you're still dead in your sin, and you owe the Father, God Almighty, a death. Because he is holy and he is righteous and he despises sinfulness and wickedness. However, as we are celebrating throughout this weekend, Christ was sent forth as a propitiation for our sins. The Father sent, gave his Son to the world. Think about this. He gave his son to a world that had his, its back turned on him. A world that was in active rebellion against him. And that son, Jesus of Nazareth, was born as fully God and fully man. And he walked out a perfect, blameless life that you and I should have lived, but we are unable to possibly ever live. He went to the cross bore our sins. Every sin you've ever committed was in his body. He stood in your place, taking on the wrath of Almighty God that you and I had stored up for ourselves. It was rightfully ours. And he stood in our place, extinguishing the wrath of Almighty God, and he died but as we have covered at length today on this Resurrection Sunday, we celebrate that he didn't stay in that grave. He came forth from that grave and is seated at the right hand of the Father right now. And because that is true, if you will put all of your faith in what he did and in who he is and repent from your sins and turn to him, calling upon him as Lord Scripture says you will be saved and your inheritance will be forever kept in heaven for you. And lastly, our future is secure. Number four, the fourth assurance that we get from the resurrection of Christ is that our future is secure. 
See, Christ knew throughout all of his suffering that it had an expiration date. As intense and as anguishing as it, as it certainly was, he knew that one day this was going to end and he was going to be back in glory with his father. And because it ended, because he took on all of that suffering, because he died, and because he came forth from the grave, you and I also have an assurance that no matter what we go through, even if we struggle and suffer our whole lives, it has an expiration date. It will end. And we have that assurance because Christ is alive right now. And we can know that one day, one beautiful day, it will all be over and we will be in glory with the Father and the Son. And we will have a body like His. We will be resurrected bodies. We will be pure and we will be blameless. We will be holy because we will not have sin anymore. All thanks to the sacrifice of the Lamb and the resurrection of the King. Because Christ died and rose from the grave, because this is a reality, gospel preaching has power. Our faith can bear fruit. Our sins can be forgiven. And we can spend eternity with him. Because Christ rose from the grave, we will be able to see him one day. We will stand before him in the fullness of his glory. We will look into the eyes that shed tears for us. We will see the hands that took the nails for our sins. We will see the feet that remind us that he came to this earth and was just like us. Most importantly, we will see him in the fullness of his glory. And on that day, we will fall at those feet in worship, joining the host of the heavenly chorus, singing, worthy is the lamb who was slain. Worthy is the lamb who was slain to receive power, to receive wealth and wisdom and might and honor and glory and blessing. Worthy is the lamb. Let's pray. Oh God, how precious is the reality of this resurrection. How precious to us is the work that you accomplished. We thank you, we praise you, that only you can do what you have done. We thank you that you did for us what we are unable to do. And right now, Lord, I pray for whoever is listening right now, Lord, that if they have not been transformed by the reality of this gospel, that you would bring them forth from the grave just as you did the Son and bring them into newness of life to glorify you all their days, Lord. Please save some, Lord, for your glory. Please reap a harvest in this hour. 
And please help us to walk with the realization of the reality of the resurrection, knowing that gospel preaching has power, that our faith can bear fruit, that our sins can be forgiven, and that one day we will be with you. Hallelujah to the Lamb. I pray this in the name of Jesus. Amen. Grace and peace and mercy to you all.